All right, time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Okay, let's start with all the public sector unions mm-hmm. at the bargaining table. I spoke to Mike Old. He yep. was my first guest today from the Hospital Employees Union. Yeah, they're looking for a big raise. A lot of these workers are work, looking for a big raise. It, sounds like, it seems like most of the public sector unions here are bargaining at the same time. Yeah, and that's 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 the way it works. It's not unusual. All the contracts, almost all the contracts expire March 31st. The BC Teachers Federation contract expires at the end of the school year on June 30th. But we've got 393,000 workers, 184 contracts. Almost all of them expire March 31st. And what's on the con- on the negotiating table right now that has not been on there in any great degree for decades is inflation. Yeah. Inflation is now 4.7% in BC, 5.7% nationally. Uh, there's... Uh, uh, Contradictory analysis. Some are suggesting that inflation rate is going to go down. Others are saying, well, because of what's happening in Ukraine and sanctions on Russia, it's actually going to go up. Uh, but 5% is a huge wage increase if that's what uh, the unions are talking about. I did some calculations. So a 1% increase right across the board for everyone in the public sector works out to about three, costing $310 million in the provincial treasury. That's 1%. 1%. 1% yeah. in one year. Uh, we generally see three-year contracts, yeah. a so you, a 1% uh, increase over three years because it, once it's paid, it's embedded in the base and sure. it, it counts every year. Over three years, that's almost a $2 billion cost, which is quite manageable. I mean, uh, the last contract was about 2% yeah. a year. Uh, but now you start doing the math on this and, and the costs start going up quite a bit. I worked this out 5% uh, a, a year for three years is nine point uh, nine point three billion dollars? Oh, whoa! Uh, because whoa. again, you can't, once you pay that, you pay someone five percent in one year. The five yeah. percent doesn't disappear the second year. No, it's, it's every it, year. It remains in the base, and then right. you add another five percent to that, and then the third year, you've, so now you've got that embedded twice. Now you add another five percent. Now I'm not saying that's what they're asking for at the table right now. It might, it might be five percent this year, two percent next year, two. Who knows? I think one of the solutions here ultimately from the government's point of view, it will not be a, a big percentage wage increase, but a, a more a, a bigger wage increase than what they received last time, which is more than 2%, but also a big signing bonus. Signing no, bonus. Union yeah. negotiators don't like signing bonuses because they'd rather see the percentage build in the base because over time, a percentage increase delivers more money to you yeah. than a signing bonus does, bonus does. But as we saw back, I think, 2009 on the eve of the Olympics, <coughs> um, excuse me, uh, the signing bonus were like four or five thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, it could be that that sum again. And I think right now, given what we're seeing with the price of uh, cost of living, I think a lot of uh, public sector employees would look quite favorably upon a huge signing bonus, along with a lower than anticipated wage increase in terms of competing with inflation. Okay, we don't know precisely what the wage demand is from no. the unions right now. We don't know what the government has offered. This is all confidential stuff at the bargaining table right it'll now. It'll leak out. But it'll, it will, for sure. And one thing, though, is for sure, they're far apart. So I asked Stephanie Smith about that. She's the president of the B.C. General Workers Union, one of the biggest public sector unions in B.C. She was on the show earlier this week. I asked them how far apart they are. Have a listen. Their initial wage proposal, uh, I'll be perfectly frank and honest, um, was too far away from what our members have told us they want to see in their agreement. How far apart are you? Well, it's a gap. (laughs) It's a gap for sure. How big is the gap? You know, we use the word chasm in one of our releases, and I I think that's a fair fair assessment. Okay, so there's a chasm. A chasm. Yeah. 
Well, a chasm to me suggests that we're talking more than you know one or two percent percentage points apart. Again, the government last time the settlement last time was roughly about two percent a year. Uh, to, in some cases, two and a half, and it's basically the same for everyone with the you know some bells and whistles on the side. Uh, but I suspect, given inflation right now, I suspect um, the public sector unions are looking for probably in excess of four percent a year, which is a significant gap. Because again, two percentage points might not sound like a lot, but in, when you start f- uh, looking at the the impact on the provincial budget, it is a lot. Now, keep in mind the provincial budget over three years has $10.2 billion in contingency funding, unallocated spending. So there is there is money in the budget that is not alloc- allocated yet that is uh, set aside for, for uh, settlements. But keep in mind, contingencies also pay for excessive wildfire costs, yeah. fighting wildfires. Uh, the, the costs that are borne through climate emergencies, whether it's flooding or heat domes, uh, the repair of the highway system that was damaged is coming out of contingencies. This is so a lot of that money is already taken up. Okay, this is an NDP government. This is a labor-friendly, union-friendly government in power here. Mm-hmm. There are always suspicions about a sweetheart deal between an NDP government and the unions, but. You know what? It doesn't matter which party's in power here. These get to be hardball negotiations, and sometimes we will see strikes. It doesn't matter which party's in power. Is you think that's potentially where we're heading here with a strike? Hard to say. Uh, I don't think uh, anybody really wants to go on strike, given the economic uncertainty and uh, the cost of living right now. You go on strike, you lose money, uh, and you rarely gain it back uh, in terms of wage settlement. I still think the solution here is a is a more modest wage increase, but higher than last time, but coupled with a big signing bonus. Okay, let's talk about uh, world events Mm -hmm. right now. So the NATO summit underway in Europe right now. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was there. Biden is there. All the world leaders are there in NATO. And let's play a couple of clips here. This is NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg speaking this morning with a message to Putin to stop the war. Have a listen. We need to provide support to Ukraine, but at the same time, we have a responsibility uh, to ensure that this conflict do not uh, become a full-fledged war uh, between uh, NATO and Russia. Okay, so that's where he stopped short of boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, so holding that line, they're not going to do the no-fly zone. No. They're not going to put troops into Ukraine. Here he is, though, with a direct message to Putin. President Putin must stop this war immediately withdraw his forces now and engage in diplomacy in good faith okay so they want the war stopped they're also bolstering troops so they're moving some troops around they're moving some hardware around to the eastern countries in the mm-hmm. nato alliance they put out he put out a very specific warning to putin this morning too about chemical weapons yep. if you use chemical weapons that is going to change the equation he didn't say that drags nato into a war but he did say there would be a response your thoughts well i still don't think i think they're going to stop well short of uh, boots on the ground and again joe biden is the key figure here the united states is the major power it's not nato as a sum i think the state still drives the bus here but the other other side of this equation is the economic one, uh, which is starting to have an impact with the sanctions on Russia. Russia is the 11th biggest economic power in the world. It's the number one exporter of oil or of, of natural gas. It's the number two exporter of oil. It's the number three exporter of coal. It's a major supplier of nickel and, and, uh, and certain metals that go in to make up a lot of electronics around the world. So the supply chain around the world is going to start being disrupted in significant 
different ways. And that's going to bring some economic pressure as well into the whole situation, not only on Russia, but on Western countries as well. So there's the military response, but there's also the economic one. And the economic one is, I think, is going to overtake the military one because the economic impact that flows from all these sanctions on Russia is going to be a major disruption of the world economy. Okay, Trudeau is at this summit, and again, warning, saying Russia, warning tough talk against Putin. He mm -hmm. also gave his speech to the European Parliament. Did you see there were a couple of members of the European Parliament stood up and ripped Trudeau? Yeah. Did, did, you, see, yeah. did you see that? Let me play a bit of this, because a couple, a lot of listeners called me and said, oh, are you going to play these clips <laughs> of these European parliamentaries ripping, ripping Trudeau a new one? Okay, so we'll play a bit of it here. So this is Christine Anderson. She is a German member of the EU Parliament. Here she is ripping Trudeau. A prime minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy should not be allowed to speak in this house at all. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Please spare us your presence. Thank okay, you. So that's, she's a, like a far right member. Of the a, EU Parliament, far right wing member. I mean, fine, uh, but again, European Parliament's it's not a one party system. Well, that's it. Yeah. There's, there's, they're completely all over the map. I've actually, I actually went there with Harcourt back in the nineties. It is. It is a strange institution where you've got all sorts. It's just, it's like its own little country. Uh, uh, again, people from all political paths in life are in that thing. So you're, you're not immune to criticism when you walk in there. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple of MPs, uh, members of the European Parliament stood up and criticized Trudeau today. All right. Um, lastly. COVID numbers in BC. I've been out. I went out to a restaurant last night with my wife. We had a nice dinner out. I've been up it's to my anniversary. It was 20, 20, year, 20 years yesterday. And uh, also, I was out at uh, my local rec center this week. Everybody's unmasked. People are crowding together. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, hey, it feels like it's over. It's not We're over. Back to normal. It's not over, but you're right. Uh, people are starting to go back to normal way of things. For example, here at the legislature, on Monday, there were a thousand visitors. At one point, uh, many for months in in the pandemic, the visitors to the legislature very f few and far between. Most people continue to wear a mask in terms of visitors, but probably about fifty percent, maybe I'd say maybe sixty percent wear a mask. But you're right, restaurants are more crowded, uh, rec centers are crowded. Uh, you're seeing people socialize more, but a little worrisome signs out there. More than worried, the wastewater samples, which were where they test to see if COVID's out there, is on the uptick. In Ontario, I haven't seen BC's latest numbers, but the last week we saw a slight increase, even though the daily number of hospitalizations has been going down, it went up yesterday, um, the, the net increase was up, uh, the, the overall uh, from week to week was up a little bit. Uh, COVID-19 in much of the world is now being, uh, is the BA2 variant, and that's much more infectious, and that's driving cases upwards. All right, welcome back. Keith Baldry is my guest. Phone lines are open. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Mary on Vancouver Island. Hi, Mary. Hi. So um, Putin looked at Zelensky and saw a comedian with a 20% approval rating. Biden looked and NATO looked at Zelensky and saw a comedian, a former comedian with a 20% approval rating. I believe that not only Putin underestimated Zelensky, and his courage and the bravery of the Ukrainian people. 
and his barbaric invasion, uh, going ahead with his barbaric invasion, but also Biden and NATO, and now they're on a big guilt trip, um, uh, also underestimated. And I believe that they were just going to let it happen. They were just going to let the invasion happen. They were just going to let the Ukrainian people be collateral damage, just as they did in Aleppo, because they, they did not. They, because they did not expect um, the fight back, and that's why Biden offered him safe passage. Honestly, I don't want to feel like a conspiracy theorist, but they had all the intelligence. Why didn't they get ready for it? Why didn't they have the planes mm-hmm. ready? Why didn't they have the munitions ready? Uh, because they were just going to let it go. I believe they mm. were just going to let it go. Okay, thank you, Mary, for the call. Well, I don't know about a conspiracy theory, but I think you may be correct that everyone underestimated Zelensky here. I mean, a lot of people had real ignorance of the of the situation. Now, U.S. intelligence is supposed to have a pretty good read on these situations, and I, but I do think there was an underestimation of the will of the Ukraine people and of their leader uh, to fight back on this. Although, I think a lot of people although th- Biden was right on in, in the U.S. intelligence reports in the days leading up to the invasion, saying, look, Russia's going in here. They're going to invade, oh, yeah. even when the Russians were denying but I, it. Where I think they underestimated was the pushback from the Ukraine yeah, people. Okay. That was where I think uh, they came up short on the intelligence. Right. Let's go to Judy on the line in Surrey. Hi, Judy. Yeah, hi. Um, I've got two points. I think that uh, public health has been managing the COVID response based pretty much exclusively on case count. I don't think that's the way to go. Everybody's going to be uh, affected or infected at some point, and uh, to deny that is nuts. In Africa, where they have not had vaccines, the uh, immunity is 80% plus. And that was spoken about by Bill Gates. So that's not a crazy theory. Okay, thank thank you. So so we're not fixated on case counts, and we haven't been for a few months now. Uh, that's gotten away. The, the the emphasis in BC and most of Canada is on vaccinations and on hospitalizations. Uh, we've gotten away from emphasizing case counts some a long time ago because it was really started to be somewhat meaningless. As, as the caller says, uh, COVID-19 is out there and it's going to be out there for a long time and it's not disappearing. It's never going to it's not going to be eradicated overnight. So the case count is less relevant right now. What the but what is relevant is the ongoing hospitalization uh, positivity rate, and that still remains somewhat high. It's dropping. It did go up the last week, though, uh, and we're seeing a huge explosion in South Korea, Hong Kong, uh, China. Uh, now we're seeing an increase in the United Kingdom and parts of Europe in terms of hospitalizations, and that's yeah. worrisome. Let's go to James on the line in White Rock. Hi, James. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Keith's got a quick question for you. The MLAs in British Columbia, their pay raises are directly linked to inflation, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So if they're going to get a 5.7% increase, to ask the unions to take a 3% is kind of the pot calling the kettle black, isn't it? Not really. There's 87 MLAs. There's 400,000. Uh, so one has a huge impact on the taxpayer. The other one has no impact. So I don't think it's fair to draw a conclusion. But Although I, you can bet your boots that the unions, unions will make the precise sure. point and that I, the caller just made. I would think the MLAs would um, serve themselves well 
to step away from that inflation indexed uh, increase. You know, we got 30 seconds here. Like the point you made about they should offer a signing bonus. I maybe that's, that's way out of this. Maybe that's the sweetener here to get out of this we, thing. We saw a huge signing bonus that was very popular with employees back yeah. in 09. I mean, everyone loved to get a four or $5,000 check. Uh, you know, other unions have seen that in the private sector that you're not, it's unlikely to get a 5% wage increase. The treasury just isn't going to be able to afford that. It can afford a big signing bonus though.